This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We're in my favorite time of year, which is football season. And, uh, and, and for those of you who tape the Texans, good for you. That's, uh, that's what I've done. I will go home, I will watch it today, and I will breeze through all the commercials, all the referee challenges and timeout. It's the way to watch us. That's our new motto around here. Tape the Texans, see you Sunday. So one of the things I do is I listen to coaches because what I do is a little bit like a coach. And I, one of the coaches, I, I, I hear this phrase used a lot. Some of you have heard it. They're talking about putting a young quarterback in typically, whether that's a rookie in the NFL or a freshman in college. And they say things like the moment was not too big for them. So in other words, they put a young person in and he handled the pressure, handled all the challenges of that big moment. He said, but the moment was not too big for them. And it made me stop and think. In our lives, we all have moments. We all have opportunities, challenges, things come our way. And in our relationship, we have moments. And so either they're too big for us and we crater or we become bigger than they are. And this morning, I want to talk about Becoming bigger on the inside. Now, I'm not talking about gaining weight. I'm talking about becoming bigger on the inside, bigger as an individual. And that really is something all of us desire. If you notice, every January, everyone goes right back to, we want to set goals and we want to have, we have things that we're shooting for. Very few people ever set goals like, I really want to become less less Christ-like this year and I really want to become a worse individual to be around. No, everyone's got something better than that because we want something more than that. If you look at all the self-help, if you look at all the, if you go to Amazon, look at all the books, everyone talks about how you can become more than what you are. And I really believe as, as believers in Christ, we have even more potential to do that. But I was reading a secular article the other day, this guy's a business coach, and he was talking about how qualities of a, of a authentic person. I thought, okay, authentic, that's a big word. We use that a lot now. Authentic. Authentic simply means representing your true self, your true nature. And so I read the three things that this individual, this business coach said, this is how you become a, an authentic person. He says, one, he said, you, he said, you're true to yourself. You're true to your, your nature. You're on, I like that he said, honest and trustworthy, and that you live by a set of rules or moral codes or values. Well, okay, that's good. I like that. Maybe think about the little lady that in her early 30s that married a man who was 80. And she married him and he thought and all her friends thought that she married him for his money. But she swore that was not the case. She married for love. And he said, okay, well, great. Since you married for love, he said, here's what I want you to do. She said, he was a pretty wealthy guy. He said, when I die. He said, I want you to cash all of my assets out and I want you to put the money in the coffin. I'm going to take it with me. And she swore up and down that was not a problem because she married him for love and that's what she was going to do. Well, it didn't take him too long and he did die. And at the funeral, she's sitting on the front row with all her friends and family, the, the grieving widow. And right before they closed the casket, she stepped up and put an envelope in the casket, tucked it in, and then told them to close it. Closed the casket up, and as they were following the casket out to the gravesite, one of her, her friends slipped up beside her and said, girl, please don't tell me that you put all that man's money in that casket with him. And she looked at him, and she said, of course I did. 
She said, I am a person of my word. She said, I wrote him a personal check. If he can cash it, he can keep it. <laughs> you got to have a code. Everyone has to have a code to live by. That's the first one. Be an authentic person. Qualities of authentic person is that you are kind and respectful of others. I thought that was good. Have you, have you ever been treated real demeaning or someone just treats you like garbage? That is a horrible feeling. And it's something that really can impact. I can remember one time where this other preacher just, I mean, he just looked down at me and just said something just incredibly, just so condescending. And I, I still remember it. I had to forgive him, but I still remember it. It didn't sit well. And, and I know sometimes how, how we treat people. I had a lady one time, she wrote, said, we're leaving the church because Pastor Allen looked at me really hard. And I don't, this is when we were over in the roller rink. I don't remember looking at me. There's no one here, so don't look around for who it is. She, I don't remember looking at her hard. And I remember I could have been having gastric distress when she crossed <laughs> my path of vision. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to look at her hard, but that, that whole thing affected her. So if I give you the stink eye, just to remember, I'm not looking at you. There's probably something else going. Maybe I'm hungry and it's time to go. But the idea is people want to be treated with dignity and respect. To be an authentic person, do that. Here was the third one. I thought this was interesting. It said, live in the moment and be a great listener. Live in the moment. And that means wherever you are, be there and be a great listener. Ever talk with someone, you're trying to talk to them and they're looking either past you or their, their phone keeps going off and it's blowing up and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really want to be different, be a great listener. And by the way, great listening. I, my family says I am not a great listener. I have really have to work on that. I'm what they call an auditory processor. You know what auditory processors are? We can hear it. As long as we hear it, we got it. So I can, my, Joy can be talking to me and I can be looking somewhere else, reading the paper. And she said, did you hear what I said? I can pretty much repeat it back to her verbatim. It does not make me a great listener. Great listener, you want to make eye contact. And then you, you don't want to just sit there with your mouth open. <laughs> you want to say something like that's engaging. Like every now and then go, Mm. Yes. Nod your head. What's that doing? You're engaging. But listen, I, but all joking aside, in, in a world where no one's listening, if you become a great listener, people flock for someone like that. Everyone loves a great listener. So it's talking about these are all qualities of an authentic person. But I thought, hey, what about the qualities of a spiritually authentic person? What would that look like? And actually, it's similar. Because the qualities of a spiritually authentic person is one, you want to be true to your true self. You've heard us quote, we, we say this over and over again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, that means spiritually we've been changed. And the Bible gives us a picture, especially in the, in the epistles. The epistles are the letters written to the churches, but they begin to give us a revelation of what's been done in us. See, it's more than just heaven when we die. That God has done something in us that we're changed. And he begins to say things like we're, we're new creations, that we're his own special people, that we're called to, to show the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says some wonderful things about us. It says we're more than conquerors. It says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In other words, our capacity changed. And so we find out what we are, what our true self is, and that's a, that's a, that can grow on you. And I'll tell you something, that'll lift you. And then we begin repping who we really are, what God's done for us. And then here's the second one. We begin to live inside God's relational 
guidelines, God's code or moral code. Because I, I want to give you one this morning. Would you like to know one verse that I promise you can change all of your relationships? That's two of you. Anybody else like to know one, <laughs> one, one verse? This is one. You ready? <laughs> it's, you ready? It's out of the book of James. So that'll tell you something right there to begin with. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yeah, yeah, thank you for the honesty there. It's like, oh, wow. You know, I can, I can tell you from years of practicing this, this verse in reverse that it, it's not, I, I lived a life for too, far too long. I was slow to listen, quick to talk, and quick to get angry. But if you can, if you can reverse that, say, well, Alan, I, I, I can't reverse that. I'm Irish. No, Sparky, you're a new creation in Christ. You're not being, being Irish. You know, every, almost every ethnic group except the English have some kind of, I'm German. I got a German temper. I'm a, Joy's Italian. Like, oh, you married an Italian. They hurt people. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not that. It's that if, if the Bible tells us we can do that, then we can do it. So we can become. Listen, being quick to listen, if you've ever been around someone who's a good listener, that blesses people. You've ever been around someone who interrupts all the time? You can't even get a word in edgewise? That, you don't leave there going, wow, I've really enjoyed that conversation. But someone who's just quick to listen, slow to speak. When you're slow to speak, it gives you time to think about your words. Because our words are powerful. And not just our words, but our tone. So it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Slow to speak gives you an opportunity to at least dial that down. And then slow to anger, man, that can make everything. <laughs> slow to anger, I don't have to go through that one. That's been my mantra all my life. Slow to anger. So I, I, I just, Alan, I just have a temper. I've always had a temper, always will have a temper. Do you know you can grow past that? You really can. When I was in a conference a number of years ago with a pastor from Hawaii, his name is Wayne Cordero. Wayne, Wayne told us a story. He said, he said, when you go to some of the beaches in Hawaii, some of the rougher coast, the waves will come and they'll crash against the rocks and they'll throw up all this spray. It's just like you get soaked standing close by. He said, how do you, how do you, how do you change that? He said, do you take out all the rocks? He said, no, you can't do that. He said, but what can happen is when the tide comes in, then the water level goes above the rocks. And when the waves come, they don't crash. So we're listening to him and we're like, and? He said, listen, he said, if you're always crashing into people with your relationships, always crashing, always at conflict, he said, you can't remove all the rock. You can't take all the rocky people out of your life. He said, but you can raise the water level of your spiritual life and you can go over the top of that. That's what I'm talking about this morning is we have the ability to grow bigger. And if you've been in conflict and you're always in conflict with people, I got good news for you. Doesn't have to stay that way. You can become bigger on the inside. I want to give you a great example this morning of what a bigger person looks like in the Bible. He's an unusual character with someone you wouldn't think about, but he's got some great, big on the inside, big characteristics. His name is Naaman. Here's his story here. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, 
If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who's from the land of Israel. I like the way this story starts out because it tells us that Naaman was a commander. He was a general. He was a powerful man, not a weak man. In fact, it said he was a mighty man of valor. He was a warrior. He was a strong man. But it also, we get insight into this guy that there's some other things about him. Here's one of the first things we see about Naaman is that Naaman is someone who actually is respectful of other people. He brought a captive, a little servant girl. You have to understand that in, the, in the, that part of the, of the world at that time, man, they treated, they treated women horribly. So this was a captive, foreign female who was in the, in the scope of most things was treated horribly, treated almost like property. And yet Naaman was willing to listen to her. One of the little voices he listened to in his life. And, she, and then we find out something about Naaman because this little slave wanted to see Naaman healed. Now what I am subscribing is, if you are a horrible person and you capture a slave, if I'm a slave and you're mean, nasty, and horrible, and you have leprosy, leprosy was a disease that would eat you up from the outside. And it's like cancer on the outside, eating away your body parts. If you were nasty and mean and you had leprosy, my thought is tough to be you. Too bad. You're going to die. <laughs> Mic drop. But he must have been, he must have been a kind man because this little slave girl said, oh, I wish my master was with the prophet in Samaria for this little girl wanted to see him healed. Now, it certainly says something about her, but I believe it also says something about him. Someone who's kind and respectful, people want to see good things for. So Naaman finds out that there's a prophet in Samaria, Elisha, who can help him and, and he can get healed of leprosy, no cure at that time. And so he shows up, he, he gets a whole bunch of chariots and horses and all his people, probably some soldiers, because they had, they had a lot of money in and silver and gold, and they brought it in chariots and clothes. I mean, he, man, you, it's not like you travel with a credit card. You got to travel with your money, and they had all these people around him. So, man, there's this huge convoy. And they go into Israel, and they show up at Elisha's door. And here's what happens. The Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Naaman became furious and he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed now, I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Naaman was, a, Naaman was certainly human. He had expectations of what was going to, he shows up in Elisha's driveway. Elisha doesn't even come out. Elisha sends, probably Gehazi sends a messenger out 
So the messenger comes out, man, you got this huge convoy in your driveway. And he shows up and goes, um, who's Naaman? He goes, here I am. Mr. Naaman? Yeah, prophet said, go dip seven times in the Jordan, you'll be clean. So you turn around and walked away. Oh man, that made him mad. Because Naaman already had it built up how this prophet was going to come out. He, he, had, he was only familiar with idols and their priests of the idol temples. Man, they had a whole histronics and show and they got all this showy stuff. And he's expecting Elisha to come out and call on the name of his God, make it a real big deal. And Elisha sends the messenger out. Doesn't even come out himself, sends the man. So his expectations were here and reality was here. And we've talked about when expectations are unrealistic, that's where anger sets in. Man, he's mad. And then he's, then he's prideful. He's like, oh my gosh, these, the Jordan, that's a nasty river. I've got better rivers in my own home. I don't go. He's mad. He's furious. And his pride and his feelings almost had the last word with Naaman. And if they had, the story would have never happened. But it's interesting how Naaman was willing to listen to the people around him. His aides came and talked to him. And his aides said, um, my father, by the way, that's a, that's a, a, a term of endearment. My father, if, if he'd asked you to do something big, you'd have done it. Won't you go dip? Hey, listen, have you ever, I don't know about you. Have you ever known people that when they were mad, you did not want to talk to them? Just look straight ahead. It might be someone in here. Just look straight. But I, I've known people where you, we'd walk in and someone would say, how is he today? And everyone, and like people like, I know I'm not the only person that's ever known anybody like that. It's like, how's the boss today? You're like, oh, no, no, don't go in there. He, he's on a rampage. And you go in and talk to him and you walk in and he goes, what? And you go, nothing, just nothing. I got nothing to say. This guy, Naaman was furious and yet these aides could go to him. They, weren't, they did not rank him. They could go to him and talk to him and he listened to them. That's big. Years ago, I remember reading something. I've never forgotten it. It said, don't ever hire someone that you don't take to lunch first. It said, because you want to see how they treat the wait staff. What they found is that people, they may be nice to you, but if they treat the wait staff, people who can't do anything for them, they treat them like dirt that says something about them. Naaman was a big guy who didn't cut off the heads of his aides who came and said, Naaman, sir, could you just, maybe just, could you go dip? And he went. He listened to him. And I love this fact. He said, and when he came out on the seventh time, he looked at his skin. He said he had skin like a little child. Not only when God does something, not only will he restore you, he'll do it better. He got better skin. And then Naaman did something amazing. You know, if you got healed, so many of us would have said, Shoot, doggies, Jethro. Look at this. I am healed. And now I, let's go home. Let's hook him. Let's go. He turned all the way around and went back. And he stood before Elisha and said, I, I just came to say thank you. I just came to give honor. There ain't no other God but your God. And I wanted to bring the gift. He took the time to be grateful. That's big. How do you become a bigger person? How can you become someone who's bigger than the moment, bigger than the challenges that come your way? Is that possible? Yeah, actually it is. So if you're going to become a bigger person, let me give you some qualities of a bigger person. Bigger, bigger people are respectful and honoring of others. And we live in a day where 
There's a lot of disrespect. You go online sometimes and maybe someone makes a comment and people just blast them. I'm thinking to myself, man, whatever happened? Can, can we not be kind? Can we not be respectful? Do you know Jesus was always respectful? He treated people well. He, he's our lead. Look, look what some of the, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this, but here's one of them. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. It just said, it didn't say they were more valuable. He said, treat them that way. Would that change things? If, if everyone began to treat other people as valuable? I think it would. That's big. There was a pastor, he used to be a pastor in New York City named Gordon McDonald. Came out of his, his office one time in Manhattan, right beside the church, there were some trash cans. There was a homeless guy going through the trash can and irritated Gordon. And he, he walked over to him, he spoke to him. He said, he said hey, if you don't mind, would you put all that stuff back and, and make sure the lid's on it? And he turned around and walked away and the, and the man spoke up and said, just a minute, sir. Turned back around and said, what? He said, I would be glad to do what you asked me to if you would simply ask respectfully. You realize homeless people even need respect? Gordon McDonald said, mm. he said, you got me. He said, then you're right. I'm so sorry. And he walked up to him and he said, hey, I would really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to me that after you're done here, if you would tidy up the area and keep it clean. And the man said he would. And they shook hands. Being kind and respectful. Listen, when you lift other people, you do not lower yourself to lift other people up. When you lift others, you come with them. Here's the, here's the second thing. This is, you're going to love this one. Be approachable and adjustable. Approachable. What do you mean approachable? Can people talk to you? I'm not talking about knuckleheads who, who come with stupid stuff. I'm just talking about the people in your lives. Can they, can they approach you? Can they say things to you? Now I'll tell a story on me. I grew up in a home where everyone was in bad moods. My whole family had bad moods. I walk in and go, what's wrong with mom? So she goes, she's in a bad mood. I'm like, huh? Okay. So in our family, it's like, oh, mom's in a bad mood. If you grow up that way, it's very easy to grow up that way too and be moody. So I was very moody. Long time. Even after you're a Christian, Alan? Yep. And I'm working for administrative. This was back in the 90s. I'm working for administrative. And we hired an administrative assistant. Her name was Luann. She was such a sweet girl. And she had one of the most Southern accents I have ever heard in my life. And, and I was talking to her one day and I was getting ready to leave, go out the door. And I said something, well, yeah, you know, I was in a bad mood. She looked at me. She said, Alan, your bad moods are horrible. <laughs> it's at least four syllables in horrible, horrible. <laughs> and, and I remember when I heard it, I, I walked out the door. First, it embarrassed me. And then when I got to the gym, I'm working out and I'm talking to the Lord quietly, not out loud. It would be weird. So I'm just talking to the Lord, and I said, that was you. And it was. I went home and told Joy, and Joy said, I've been telling you that for a long time. <laughs> Thank you very much. But she was right. She'd been telling me that for a long time. And, and by the way, guys, being in a bad mood, you ever noticed you can't be in a bad mood by yourself? You have to share it with other people or it has no value. So as I'm, when I'm in a bad mood, I want other people to feel like I am in a bad mood and everybody needs to know it. 
And you say, well, did, did you change overnight? No, but I begin to change it. Here, here's the good news. Now listen to me. You can outgrow bad moods. My family will tell you right now. My family used to say, gosh, he used to be horrible. My family say, he's rarely in a bad mood. I have moments, not days. Why? Because God looked down and said, oh, bless his heart. He is trying so hard. I'm going to give him some bad mood poof magic on him. No, no. It's because as you begin to grow, as you begin to have a relationship with the Lord, he helps you outgrow these things. And you realize, hey, I don't have to be in a bad mood. I got a God who loves me. I got people who care. I know how this thing winds up. I know my past is forgiven. It's going to be all right. I forget being in a bad mood. It's not going to help anything anyway. And it'll help you. Are you approachable? And then are you adjustable? Can you make adjustments in your life? That's part of life. If you're able to make adjustments and make changes, man, it'll make all the difference in the world. So I got to ask you that question. Can anybody talk to you? Can anybody say, and, and, and especially the people who care, can they talk to your life? Makes a huge difference. Here's the last one. Qualities of a, of a big person are someone who's grateful. Gratitude is, is a big word now. Army's teaching it to, to some of their trainees to help them become uh, mentally tough. They found that gratitude, people who, who will look for something to be grateful for, they find that helps their mental toughness, which I think is amazing. But in gratitude, there's a great verse for gratitude, and it's found here in 1 Thessalonians. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, when you can begin to do that, you are living on the strong side of life. Give thanks in all circumstances. It didn't say for all circumstances. It said in. So no, let's, let me just say, for example, Let's say that your, your marriage is horrible. You're not saying, Lord, I want to thank you for a horrible marriage. I have a horrible marriage. and I, No, no. Lord, I want to thank you. You can help me and strengthen me in the middle of this difficult time. Maybe your kids are, just, are, are going like, man, they're not acting right. You're like, Lord, thank you that my kids are making my life completely miserable. No, that's not what we're doing. It's like, Lord, I want to thank you that you have answers for me and you will help me. See, there's different. We can be grateful in the middle. Lord, I'm not alone in this. I have got help. And when you do that, boy, you, and you start to live grateful, then, you, boy, you talk about becoming bigger than the moment. That's a, that's a great way to grow bigger than the moment. One story and I'll close. A missionary alliance group that was training some, some future missionaries, and they were taking language school, and they were learning Chinese. First day of class, the teacher walked in, and she, she, without saying a word, she just walked up and down the aisles, walked out the front of the classroom and walked out the door. They all kind of stared at one another. She came back in. She said, did anyone notice anything about me? And the class were like, you didn't say anything? No, I said. Finally, one young lady raised her hand. She said, I noticed that you were wearing some really lovely perfume. And the class laughed. And the teacher said, no, no, that's exactly what I wanted you to notice. She said, you're just learning Chinese. She said, it's gonna be a long time before you know enough Chinese to preach the gospel to anyone in Chinese. She said, but the sweet fragrance of Christ 
can be, can be seen, can be visible, can be evident by the quality of your life. You see, when we, have a, a, when we begin to live big, when we're respectful and kind, when we're approachable and adjustable, when we're grateful, what we're really saying is these are Christ-like qualities. Becoming bigger is not to make something out of us. It's to point to the one who saved us, who loved us, who changed us. And it says, hey, and all the honor goes to him. But your life can have a, a fragrance that smells good, even in the middle of some, maybe some stinky situations. You can live big, and you can live bigger than the complications that are in your relationship. Bow your heads for a moment. Please, no one leaving or moving will be out of here in just a moment. But if you came today and said, Alan, I don't know that I could say I have a relationship with the Lord. I don't know that. Or, or maybe I, I did it one time, I'm just not sure. Or maybe you're here today and you say, actually, Alan, I'm here and I, uh, I used to walk with the Lord, I used to have a, a relationship with him and I, I, I got away from him, I walked away. I certainly understand that, I've been there myself years and years ago. Here's the good news. If you don't know him, he'll take you. And if you walked away from him, he'll take you back. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you that I'm talking to, and you want to change that today, we're going to say a prayer. It's a powerful prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. But this is a prayer that can change you. And after you change, things around you begin to change as well. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're saying, Alan, that's me. I don't know, but I want to know, or I want to come back. Would you please pray for me? Just quickly slip your hand up across the auditorium. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate your courage. It takes courage to do that. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, ah, I wish I'd done that. I, I wanted to do that, but I just, I, I couldn't lift my hand. Listen, you can, you can lift your voice. We're going to pray this prayer. You can pray it with us out loud so you can hear yourself. God, he sees hands, but he sees hearts. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. So pray this together. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. And that's still bad and eyes closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light, and for those who've come back home, we rejoice with them. But Father, we also rejoice in our increased capacity to grow, to to develop, to become more than what we are. Through your grace, by your spirit, Father, thank you that we can change and we can impact the people around us. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we're not left simply on our own. We have a God who cares, who knows, who loves us. Thank you for that. Thank you that next year we can be bigger than we are right now on the inside. And we'll give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.